Well, good morning and welcome to Bridgewater. If I've not gotten the chance to meet you, my name is Pastor Tim, and uh, it's a joy to have you guys here. And I just want to take a minute just to thank Mason and our worship team for everything that they do. Um, it is incredible, all the work that they put in throughout the week and the practicing, and uh, also our tech team running sound and lights and uh, slides. It's a huge undertaking, and they do a fantastic job. So thank you, Mason, for your leadership. Appreciate that. Um, well, today I brought a couple of my favorite drinks with me today. I grew up in Florida, so one of the favorite drinks I have is orange juice. Woohoo! And um, also, I like my Starbucks Frappuccino coffee drink. So these are good. So like, um, I, I, I enjoy both of these drinks, and you know, I think a lot like you, um, we love we love Jesus, and this is how we are. We love Jesus, but then we also love and enjoy our own sin, don't we? And some of you, you wake up in the morning and you're like, I just love you, Jesus. And then later in the day, you're like, yeah, but I really enjoy my sin. I just really want this and I just need to escape. You wake up in the morning and you think, man, I just really want to be in God's word and open up God's word and you're loving it and then you think, you know what? I just want to make them miserable. Go about your day and you think, you know what? I love these people. Later on you're like, I hate her. (laughs) And you and I, we go to Jesus and then to our sin, and we go back and forth and back and forth. And some of you are thinking, you know what? I don't really go back and forth. I mean, I'm like 90% all loving Jesus. I really just have that, that one sin, that one habit. I love it. <clears throat> I hold on to it. I know God wants me to get rid of it. But... I just can't get rid of it. And there's that that one pattern, there's that one habit. And no wonder you are miserable. No wonder you can't find fulfillment in your life. And because we keep going back and forth or you're mixing those things in. And Jesus says, I am the light and in me there is no darkness. So how do we make these changes? How do we make changes in our lives that will actually last? That's the question we're going to wrestle with today is how do we make a change in our life that will actually last? So grab your Bibles and go to Nehemiah chapter 10. We'll actually start in the last verse of 9. But Nehemiah chapter 10 and what's been happening so far is they have rebuilt the wall They finish the wall, and then they have a time where they read God's word, and they spend time reading and confessing sin. They have this incredible time of worship. And then last week in chapter 9, we talked about this prayer that they have where they pray backwards. 
and they look at what God has done, and they confess sin, and then they pray forwards, and they say, okay, we're going to repent. We're going to make a commitment, and that's what's been going on. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app, go to Nehemiah chapter 10. If not, we'll put it on the screen behind me. Let me start reading in chapter 9, verse 38. In view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing. And our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing it to their to seals to it. Those who sealed it were Nehemiah, the governor, the son of Hakaliah, Zedekiah. And then there's a whole bunch of names that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. But they all put it in writing. There's 23 priests. There's 17 Levites. There's 44 different leaders, and, and not including all of their family members. But if my math is right, that's about 84 people. That they're all making this commitment, and they're putting it in writing. And what they're doing is they're really saying, I'm going to ask all of you to hold me accountable. I'm going to make this commitment. We are going to make this commitment together, and I'm putting it in writing. It's similar to making a statement on social media. I mean, imagine if, if you or I decided today on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube or whatever it is you go to, and on social media, you just got up and you started talking about how bad and how terrible donuts are. And, and imagine if I got on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube and I said, you know what, donuts are terrible, you shouldn't eat them. In fact, I'm never going to eat another donut again. And then tomorrow morning in the office, Mason Cratch comes in with a huge box of Krispy Kreme donuts, sets them down, they start passing them around, and as the box gets to me, I reach in and I grab one and I start eating. What's going to happen to me? I'm going to get called out. I mean, they are going to mock me. I mean, so there is some serious accountability happening there, that they are making a commitment, and then they're putting it in writing in front of everybody. And they're saying, God, we're going to make a covenant. And this idea of a covenant is the idea of something being cut out. That almost every time there was a covenant made in Scripture, it included an animal sacrifice. That they would take an animal and they would cut it open and they would bring it before God. And they would offer it to him as a part of that covenant. And so that's what's happening. That they are cutting out something and saying, God, we are promising. We are making a declaration. We're making a covenant with you. In the New Testament, Jesus was that sacrifice for the new covenant. And they are saying, we're making a contract. But not the kind of contract that you think of. Because when we make a contract, there's some kind of negotiation that can take place. But this is a, a covenant. This is a contract where there's no negotiation When God makes a covenant with his people, he says, this is what is going to happen. And they are making this covenant. They're putting it in writing. And then they're saying, okay, here's really the big idea. And if you get anything out of this, here's the one thing I want you to get, is that they want accountability. They're saying, we need accountability in the areas that we don't want accountability That's what's going to happen. They're they're putting all this in writing, and they're saying, you, I need you and you and you to hold me accountable. If you want to change, 
If you want to stop going back and forth and back and forth, you've got to make a decision. Here are some things in my life that I need to cut out, and I need somebody to ask me hard questions. I need accountability. I need somebody to call me every day. I need somebody to text me. I need somebody at work or at school, another believer that when they see me, they ask me the hard questions. Because if you really want to change, it's going to require a commitment and it's going to require some form of accountability. And so they're willing to take some radical steps. They're making a radical commitment. Look at verse 28 with me. The rest of the people... Priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and all their sons and daughters who are able to understand. All these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully some of the commands. No, to obey all of the commands, not just the ones they like, not just the ones that are their favorites, but they're making a commitment to make and follow God, follow everything that he says. All the commands, the regulations, the decrees of the Lord are Lord. And so they are saying, okay, God, we have been studying your scriptures. We've been convicted by your word. We've been confessing our sin. And now we're asking other people to hold us accountable. God, you have been so faithful to us. You've been faithful over and over and over and over. And now, God, we want to be faithful to you. Because they found themselves in this cycle of sin so many of us have found ourselves in that cycle too where they follow after God, they, but they forget and then they sin and then they continue to sin and then they cry out to God and then finally they hit the restart button and they follow him again. And they're hitting that restart button and they're trying to realign themselves with God. Saying, God, we want to change. We now want to be faithful to you. And we're making a commitment but spoiler alert, they're going to fail again, and so will you. And as we do that, it's important to realign ourselves, make that commitment, and ask other people to hold us accountable. And they are binding themselves. They're saying, okay, we're going to do everything you say. Can you imagine that? What they're saying is, is, God, we are all in. We're pushing all of the chips towards the center of the table. We want to follow you. It is our goal to follow you with everything that you say. I mean, it's kind of like saying, God, I want to follow you more than I want to breathe. Can you imagine that kind of dedication, that kind of desire to follow God more than you want to breathe because they are all in, and they're asking everybody else. They're totally devoted, asking everybody else, hold me accountable. Let's all do this together. There's no question that one of the reasons we don't grow 
or one of the reasons that you don't grow, or one of the reasons that I don't grow is because we are too slow in making a commitment. Sometimes not even making them at all. And so what they are doing is they are saying, okay, we're no longer loving our sin. We are chasing after God and we're making a commitment. And they're doing this in this general promise, but then they're gonna make three specific promises. Look at verse 30. We promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or take their daughters for our sons. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forego working the land and will cancel all debts. So back then, they would have had arranged marriages. Their parents would have found a a spouse that they would have liked, another family they wanted their, their son or daughter to marry into, and they would have made that kind of agreement. And so Israel is surrounded by all sorts of nations that don't love God or follow God. And they chase after and pursue other idols and other gods, lowercase g. And so they don't want their sons and their daughters to marry them because they know that, they, that if they do that, there's a chance that they're going to forsake God and pursue those other idols. And so, yeah, they need to be good neighbors. Yes, they need to love on those people. And they need to work hard at, at having a reputation that honors God. But God's word says, don't marry those people. They are deciding we are going to have a family that is centered around God that our kids are going to marry other people who love God and follow God. And so if you're single here, my challenge to you is you should be, if you're going to date somebody, you should date somebody who loves Jesus. If you're going to get married, you ought to get married to somebody who loves Jesus. And make that decision right now. Okay, I'm going to find somebody who loves Jesus. And Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. He talks about being equally yoked. It's the idea of this piece of wood that that you would put over two animals, that you would use these animals to plow a field or do some kind of work. You want them to be the same. You want them to be equally yoked. You wouldn't put a giraffe and a cow together. Okay, it might make for a good picture, but they're not going to pull in the same direction. They're not going to pull the same amount of force. It's just not going to go well. And so if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I would say you should marry somebody who's also an unbeliever. Don't marry a Christian if you're not a Christian. It's not going to be good. Another Christian should marry another Christian, that you should be equally yoked. And that's what they're saying. We are making a commitment about our family. But they're also making a commitment about rest. And they're saying, okay, we're not going to chase after these, these shiny things anymore. All these other nations, they're chasing after other idols. We're no longer going to do that. Growing up, I had a 100-pound Doberman Pinscher. It was a big dog, and it was scary, and his name was Spike. And all my friends were terrified of Spike. And he did a good job because he kept other people out of our yards, people that shouldn't be in our yards. So I like big dogs. I like ugly dogs. Um, I like dogs that kind of have a scary, intimidating look to them, okay? And then there's these other animals 
They're about this big, furry, fluffy. They're never on a leash, but they should be. There are these yippity little, they're dogs, but they're not really. And, and you know them, right? You walk by them, and as soon as you walk by them, they run over to you, right? And then they see somebody else over in this corner of their eye, and they run over to them. And then they see a ball, so they run over here. And then they see a squirrel, and they run over here. And they see a chipmunk, and they run over here, and they're like all over the place, right? Anything that catches their eye, they are going and coming and going. And that's what Israel is saying. Okay, we're no longer going to do that. We're no longer going to chase after shiny things. We're no longer going to chase after other idols and other pleasures. We're no longer going to pursue our sin. We're just focusing on God. And so we're going to center our family around God, but we're also going to center our our, our rest around God. So here's the first promise they're making. We're not going to marry people who don't follow God. We're going to make that decision that our family is pursuing and devoted to God, and that's it. And then they mention this word Sabbath. It's the idea of rest, that they're going to work six, six days, and then they're going to take a day. And that day is all about rest, being with your family, and focusing on God. We're not going to work. This is the original Chick-fil-A. We are closed on the Sabbath day. And they have decided that they can do more on six days with God than on seven days without God. They're deciding it is better to work six days with God than seven days without God. And some of you work really, really hard, and you hustle, and you put in extra hours, but you're not working five days or six days. You're working seven days a week, and you're just going, and you're going, and you're going. And if that's you, I think that maybe that's an indicator that you don't really trust God. You don't rely on God. You see, the other nations around Israel, they were working seven days a week, and they're deciding, okay, we're not going to do that, but we're going to trust God, and we're going to rely on God. You see, God created everything in six days, and then he rested, not because he was tired, but because he was setting the example that we need rest. We need Sabbath. And so here's the second promise they make, to obey the Sabbath, that they're going to carve out time to rest, to be with their family, to not work, and to reflect. And that's all they're doing. Why, would they, why wouldn't these other people do that? Because they don't follow God. These other nations, these other countries, they didn't follow God, and Israel is choosing. We are going to be completely devoted to God. And so they take rest seriously. But look what else they say in verse 32. We assume the responsibility for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of God. That, that phrase right there is going to continue to repeat. The house of our God. It's going to repeat eight or nine different times throughout this passage, and it's repeating because it's important. It's significant. So, verse 33, 
for the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings and the burnt offerings, for the offerings of the Sabbaths at the new moon feast and at the appointed festivals for the holy offerings, for sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and for all the duties of the house of our God. And so they are making a decision that we are going to follow God and we're going to pursue him. And this phrase, house of God, is repeated over and over and over again because they are making a point to prioritize God's temple, that he is important, that he is significant. They're saying, we are assuming responsibility for all these things. We are going to take care of them. We need accountability in the areas that we don't want accountability. And so that needs to be true of us. That we need to find people. We need to invite people into our lives and say, look, here's something that needs to change in my life. Here's something that needs to be taken care of. Here's something that needs to be replaced. Here's a new habit I need to start, or I just need to get better at it. And I need you to ask me how I'm doing. I need you to call me. I need you to text me. Not once a week, but every day. They desired accountability. They are saying, we are all assuming responsibility for this. We're all in. And so they are saying, we're going to focus our eyes and our attention on God. But then look what else he says. Verse 34, we the priests... The Levites and the people have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of our Lord, our God, as it is written in the law. We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops of every fruit tree. And so they're making a, a, an effort to say, hey, every family is going to go cut and gather wood and bring it. Everybody is going to do this. We're going to keep this fire burning. But not only are we going to contribute wood, we're going to contribute our first fruits. They are giving to God. They're making a promise. They're making a declaration. We are all going to participate. We're going to be giving towards the things that God is doing. That word tithe is the idea of, of a tenth, that they're going to give a tenth of their crops, a tenth of their produce. They're going to be giving some of the best of their animals to God. And you guys do this too. When you guys give to God through Bridgewater, you are giving to his work. And, and you guys give, and, and it's incredible. Your, your generosity is amazing. And yes, your money does go to keeping the lights on and paying the utilities and heating the building and cooling the building. And with that, inside this building, there are small groups. There are men's groups. There are women's groups. There is counseling. There is kids' ministry. There is student ministry. There's all sorts of things happening in this building throughout the week. We allow um, the SV school district to use it for testing. That God is using this building 
for life change. That when you give to God, that's what you're giving to. When you give to God, we're able to send teenagers to TLC, that they would be transformed by God's word. They have an opportunity because we can scholarship them or lower the price or, or help them if they need help. Because you give to God, we're able to send our, our middle schoolers to launch camp. I mean, we're able to do a, a three-day camp and feed a bunch of middle schoolers, 50, 60 middle schoolers, for $20 each. How is that possible? $20 won't even buy them lunch for three days. Because you guys are faithful in giving. And so when you give to God, those are the things that you give towards. Life change. And we give because he gave. And so they are giving towards the ministry. They're giving towards God and his work. So when you give, recognize that's what you're doing. You're partnering with us. You're, you're giving towards the mission of more and better disciples. Winston Churchill said, when we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. Can you put that quote up there? Jumped a bunch. That's all right. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. And Jesus said this. He says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So Jesus connected giving to our hearts. Meaning this is a heart check. As Israel is deciding we are going to give, it's a reflection of what's in their heart, that you give to what you treasure. You spend your time and your energy and your money on the things that you and I treasure. So how am I going to stop this going back and forth and back and forth? It's, it's making a commitment and it's asking everybody, hold me accountable. This is what I struggle with. We're all doing this. We're all giving. They're all giving of their wood. They're giving of their, their crops. They're giving of their money. They're giving of their animals. They're just giving and giving and giving. And the Levites, they're giving of what they get. And so money goes towards the ministry. And the Levites, the priests, they take that money and then they give out of that. It's a community that is solely focused on God. They're making a commitment. So number three, here's the promise they give. To give the time and money needed to support the temple, priests, and sacrifices. They're making a commitment. And maybe you wonder, why are these the three promises that they make? I mean, is this more important than thou shall not murder? Is this more important than thou shall not steal? And as we read through the rest of the book of Nehemiah, you find that these are the three things that they struggle with most. And so they are going after those. They're picking those three because they struggle with their family, with the rest, and their ministry. And they're saying, we're going to commit to this. And we're going to ask everybody to be a part of it. That we would hold each other accountable. So if we're going to change... We need to make a commitment. Let me give you some commitments that maybe you need to make. Number one is salvation. This is the ultimate commitment to follow Jesus. 
If you're here and you're not a believer, you've never placed your faith in Christ alone for salvation, maybe that's a conversation you need to have today. Maybe you need to talk to me or Pastor Jeff or Mason or somebody that you came with and just ask them, hey, can I talk to you about this salvation thing? I have a lot of questions. We're not going to pressure you. We're not going to try to manipulate you. We want you to understand that putting your faith in Christ is a commitment. It's a commitment to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're here and you are a follower of Christ, but you've never been baptized. Well, August 14th, we're going to have a baptism I know for some of you, it is scary, it's intimidating. You're like, I have to get up in front of people. I might have to say something. You know what? We'll read your testimony for you. Yeah, but I'm afraid of water. Yeah, but I hope you shower. So let's, let's do this. If you've never been baptized, what is holding you back? If you're not ready, ask the questions. If, if you don't fully understand why, ask more questions, and we'll figure it out. Number three, church membership. If you, if you are coming here on a regular basis, what is stopping you from saying, you know what, I want to be all in. I'm a believer. I've been baptized. I want to be a member. What's stopping you? What's holding you back from saying, this is going to be my church? This is going to be my church family serving Serving is incredible. We need to make a commitment to serve. Let me show you 1 Peter 4.10. 1 Peter 4.10. Um, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That God has gifted you. He has wired you. He has created you in such a way that you ought to be serving. We can't be a church where 80% of the work is done with 20% of the people. We can't do that. And so we need to help you. We want you to be a part of this place where you are serving actively. There's so many ways that you can serve. In fact, July 31st, we have a giant service project. That we're going to come here, we're going to gather, we're going to give you instructions, and we're going to give you shirts, and then we're going to go out into the community, and we're going to serve. And if you're not physically able to serve out in the community, we have things going on here. Um, we're going to write thank you notes to teachers. We're going to put together mailers for an event coming up. And so there are things that can take place here. If you physically can't go outside or do some of those things, cleaning and, and uh, fixing gutters or whatever... There are things that need to be done. But we want to be a church that goes out and serves the community. We want to be a light. And so there's parks to clean. There's things to fix. And there's so many projects. And so I would encourage you that after the service, that you would go back and take a look at some of those opportunities out there. And you would, you would consider, what am I going to sign up for? What am I going to serve? How am I going to serve? Lastly, I would challenge you, make a commitment to attend regularly, that if this is where you call your church home, that you would say, I'm going to attend these services as often as I physically possibly can. I'm all in. If you want to change, it's going to last. You've got to decide. Here are the things that I'm going to cut off. Here are the things I'm going to put off. But you've also got to replace it with something else. 
if I need to change how I talk, if I am always sarcastic or lying or cussing, and I need to put off that speech, I need to put on speech that edifies and builds up. And so we've got to make that decision, but we also got to include other people and say, hey, I need you to hold me accountable. Every day I need you to ask me, how am I doing with this? Guys, you need other men to speak into your life. You need one or two other men that you can kind of pull back the curtain and say, here's what's really going on in my life. I trust you, but I need help. I can't do this alone. You are not meant to be an island. Ladies, you need the same thing. You need another godly woman, not to talk with or gossip about, but to pull back the curtain and say, here's what's really happening in my life. I need you to ask me how I'm doing. I need you to hold me accountable. We have to be a church. We can have authentic, meaningful conversations with people that know you and that you trust, that can ask you real questions, and that you can be honest with them. Accountability means nothing if you're going to lie. It means nothing to say, Jeff, I need you to ask me every day if I'm getting in God's word, and then I lie right to his face. That's on me. Then I'm just checking boxes, but I'm not being real. I'm not being authentic. So if you want to change, we need to make a commitment, and we need accountability. We need accountability in the areas that we don't want accountability. Let me pray with you. Father in heaven, we are amazed by your grace and we recognize that by your sovereignty you have put this passage of scripture in your word and you have reserved it for us to see and read and pray that you would help us to identify the areas of change that need to take place in our lives that you would convict us, that you would convict me of areas in my life that need to change and that you would give me the courage and the boldness, that you would give us that courage to seek out one or two other people that we can invite them into our lives and say, here's what's going on. Would you ask me every day, how am I doing? God, we wanna be a church not only a church that reaches lost people in the community, but we want to be a people who are following you, that we are all in, completely and fully devoted to you. But we recognize that that's going to require something of us. There are commitments that we need to make. There are next steps that we need to take. But it's also going to require accountability. So I pray that you would begin to put people on our minds that we can seek out. And if someone seeks us out, let us do that. Let us be a church that is filled with men and women that is iron sharpening iron, helping us become better disciples who also make more disciples. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to stand. We're going to sing one more song.